Welcome back, everyone. And we're now up to podcast number 20 in this series of podcasts brought to you by Good Thinking, London's digital mental well-being service. Good Thinking provides instant online support for mental well-being in London. In these podcasts, Good Thinking's clinical director, Dr. Richard Graham, is in discussion with a number of people around issues relating to mental well-being. In this podcast, he's in discussion with Victoria Hornby, who is the Chief Executive at Mental Health Innovations. Victoria is going to discuss SHOUT, the crisis text line. Victoria shares how SHOUT have used innovation and technology to make it as easy as possible to support those who've had the courage to reach out. The number is 85258, and that number is really very interesting. The Good Thinking podcasts are available on all the main podcast channels. We would really appreciate it if you would share, rate and review our podcasts so we can respond to what you want, as we want as many people as possible to benefit from these really interesting discussions. Over to you, Richard and Victoria. Thank you, Tracy, And thank you, Victoria, for giving us your time today. It's a pleasure. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey into the mental health space? As the CEO of Mental Health Innovations, presumably you've been on a journey recognising the need to develop and improve mental health services and bring innovation to the fore in the way we create and develop services. How did this come about for you? What was your journey? So I suppose it began when I was the Director of Programmes at the Royal Foundation and we had been looking at a whole range of issues that their Royal Highnesses were interested in. I think from their perspective, I think they felt that across all the issues that they were individually or personally interested in, so ranging from homelessness to veterans to addiction, that mental health very much sat at the root of all of those issues, that people's ability to cope with all the things that modern day life throws at us these days, there was a strong need to focus on mental health. And so we started doing some research into mental health generally and what would help, what would be a a useful intervention for them. And we did lots of research. We worked with lots of fantastic people who gave us very generous in giving us their insight. And we worked with the Centre for Mental Health on some research. We ended up looking really very much at sort of two things. One was the stigma around mental health and the very fundamental role that had in stopping people from feeling that they could reach out for help. And so as a result of that, the Heads Together campaign was developed, and that was really about reducing that stigma and encouraging people to talk about their mental health and and normalizing a conversation about mental health. And whilst we ran the Heads Together campaign on the one side, we also started looking at what would be useful and helpful in terms of enabling more people to be able to have somewhere to talk about their mental health. So we knew that in encouraging people to talk about their mental health, we also had then a responsibility to create more places for people to have those conversations. And so the Royal Foundation was involved in setting up workplace programmes, working with Mind, working with Place to Be and Young Minds and the Anna Freud Centre and supporting primary schools to develop their understanding and support for mental health through uh, something called Mentally Healthy Schools and some work with the military and and the Ministry of Defence in terms of building capability within the military to talk about mental health. But the one area which I think we just couldn't find enough sort of depth and strength in was digital. And it was very clear to us that people often began their journey looking for help online, and that that sometimes was a very helpful starting point, but for some people, a very unhelpful starting point. 
and didn't do enough of the navigating people to the right sort of help for them in that moment. So we started to look around the world at whether there were some good examples of where digital was being used to really increase the accessibility of help and support. And we came across Crisis Text Line in the US, which at the time was relatively new and young. And very fortuitously for us, they were just thinking about how they might internationalize their technology and their service. So we started a conversation with them about bringing the Crisis Text Line service here to the UK. And we then established Mental Health Innovations as a vehicle, really, as a charity to do that. So to bring Crisis Text Line here. So we established Mental Health Innovations in November 2017. And we began piloting the platform, the Shout platform here in May 2018. November 2017 was when Good Thinking went live. So a very interesting parallel and and a very similar journey, I think, also because through using digital, you can sort of cut across all sorts of boundaries in terms of work or or even use at home, etc., that lower so many barriers that would otherwise make it more problematic for someone to access support through traditional services. So shout is the evolution of Crisis Text Helpline in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about how it works and what opportunities come with the model of supporting people? So if you like the sort of back office of Shout, the the back end of it is a fantastic tech platform which was developed by Crisis Text in the US. And the real sort of innovation behind that has been about making it possible to have very large numbers of volunteers and also a substantial clinical team, but all operating remotely. So removing the need for for a sort of call center type operation. All of our volunteers are at home and on their laptops and so are our clinical team. And the way that that works is that our volunteers will go through their training, which is also online. So they'll do all of their training and then they uh, have access to the platform. They book a shift a bit like you'd book a gym class online. So that's you know done in the same way. And then when they log on to the platform, they are allocated to one of our clinical team. And our clinical team through the platform are able to see all of our volunteers and all of their volunteers' conversations in real time. So although everybody is remote and working separately, on the platform, it's very much a sort of team effort between our volunteers and our clinical team in supporting texters. From a texter perspective, it's very simple. So it's an it's SMS And that's important because it means that you don't have to have data and you don't have to have connection and it's free, it's anonymous and it's off bill. Our number would never show up on your bill. So from a texter perspective, they send a text, they'll receive some automated messages back, which just tells them a bit more about the service. And then they're connected to one of our volunteers. And then they begin a kind of one-to-one, very human conversation. And I think that's a critical thing for us in the Shout service is that the conversation does feel, it feels like a one-to-one conversation with a friend. And most of those conversations last about an hour. The aim is to help people feel much calmer. Um, So normally when they text us, they're feeling very anxious and overwhelmed to help them feel calmer, and then to help them to explore their problems in a bit more detail, understand what might be helpful, and then signposting them on to some kind of longer-term support. Now, that might be just that they have a conversation with a member of their family or a GP or a teacher, or it might be signposting them on to something like Good Thinking, for example, where they can look at the other kind of resources that are out there. I just want to clarify this point because it seems to me at a time where Many people have learned to sort of live online. You know, we're working, communicating, sharing in ways that uh, the lockdown has amplified. If somebody wants to text shout, 
They could have quite an old phone, like a brick phone. They could have a pay-as-you-go sort of contract. The, the sort of threshold to be able to access your service is quite low, really. You don't have to have a smartphone, a data package, and all of that. It could be, you know, a really old phone could really help someone. Yes, absolutely. The other thing, obviously, that's brilliant about text is that it's silent. And so if you are worried about being overheard, we're all a bit cooped up at the moment, aren't we? And so if you're worried about being overheard or if you're frightened to be overheard, then text is is brilliant. And you, you can stop the conversation at any time. But I also think we feel that people often feel more able to articulate difficult thoughts and emotions in text rather than in voice. Sometimes just getting the words out can be hard. And so we, we find that a lot of people who text us are telling us things that they've never told anyone before. So about 40% of our texters will say they've never spoken to anyone about how they're feeling before. That's really helpful because I guess the anonymity of being able to text as well, again, lowers some threshold uh, in terms of accessing support. But the kind of distance and being able to regulate the interaction through the text and the speed of the interactions, etc., must all help your users feel much more enabled and in control of, of what is happening. Yeah, and, and certainly we always want them to be very much in control of the conversation and, and they lead the conversation because they're the ones that know what's going to be helpful and, you know, what the issues are for them. So, you know, that's one of the key pieces of training for our volunteers is to to allow the texter to lead the conversation where they want it to go. And sometimes, you know, t- people will text us about one thing and then halfway through the conversation you realise that's not really the issue. There's something much deeper or much more profound that they wanted to talk about, but needed to find that sort of trusted space to do that in. Yes, and to feel somebody is is really listening to to what is important to you. And accepting. I mean, I think we, you know, we we spend a lot of our time when we're talking to, to people on the platform, helping them to understand that what they're doing just in looking for help takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength. And so, you know, they should feel able to share anything with us because we are incredibly admiring of their, of their strength and ability to reach out for help. One other thing that might be quite interesting for our listeners to, to recognise is the number to contact Shout is itself really interesting. It's quite extraordinary. Uh, I hope I am right in saying it is 85258. It is. Which if you've got a, a phone in front of you, it's just walking up and down the right side of your keypad. Yeah, was that something you discovered or Crisis Text knew already? So Crisis Text Line's number in the US is 741741. So again, up and down the keypad. And we wanted to make the number as memorable as possible. We wanted to find a number that people could remember easily. Um, it's a reverse of itself. So you've only got to remember three numbers, not five. So we spent quite a long time thinking about the number. And then, of course, the number has to be available. That was one of those things that once you get into the detail of setting up this service, you realize that there's a whole load of other issues in there around just, you know, simple things like the number. But yeah, we've thought about the number in lots of different ways. Very early on, we had a kind of poster where we had someone who was 85, 25 and 8, you know, and the context that it's for everyone. Yeah, we're just about to do a challenge online. It's a kind of lockdown challenge to make the number with your fingers. So making an eight and a five and a, you know, with your fingers and getting across that message that with Shout, you can let your fingers do the talking. I was thinking that very same phrase, but uh, just really neat. With my thumb, I think on the right side of the keypad, I could 
start that journey to communicating with a volunteer, 85258. But anyway, a good hashtag challenge is, is also a great way of getting it into the consciousness of particularly young people. So great sort of technology, but you're also dependent on the volunteers. And can you tell us a bit about just how many volunteers you have now and, and how you're supporting them? Yes, I mean, we're incredibly lucky. We now have 1,800 volunteers. And we're very lucky that people are incredibly generous with their time. So we have 1,800 volunteers. We are really clear that it isn't for everyone. A lot of the topics we deal with on the platform are tough. And, you know, people are in a lot of distress and have some very disturbing thoughts. And so it isn't for everyone. But we offer 25 hours of online training. So once you've decided to volunteer for us, you have access to our training package. And we reckon that takes about six weeks to get through. And the aim is for the amount of time that you spend training to sort of reflect, ideally, what we would have in terms of volunteering. So a couple of hours a week, between two and four hours a week. Each of our volunteers has a coach. So when people go through our training cohort, they'll be introduced to their coach. And that coach will help them and support them through their training journey, but then also once they're on the platform and volunteering. And we have a dedicated slot every evening for new volunteers. So they have a dedicated supervisor who can help them go through those first few conversations, which is always tough. And the training is fantastic. So the training has quite a lot of tech built into it as well. So there's a little sort of chatbot that sits in the training. So you can practice as though you were in a real sort of conversation. But And that is brilliant. And we end the training with a full role play. So that that would take about an hour to complete, which is the same as most of our conversations about an hour long. So it's quite in-depth of training, but you know nothing quite prepares you for that moment when your first conversation pops up on your screen. So our volunteers are supported off the platform by a coach. Um, that coach will support them with um, a multitude of things. So that might be with their early conversations. It might be if they've had a difficult conversation, their coach will just check in with them to make sure they're all right. And then on the platform, our volunteers are supervised by and supported by our clinical team and they will support the volunteer through the conversation so that will be a very sort of detailed interaction really with a a constant sort of back and forth between the supervisor and the volunteer to ensure that the you know volunteer feels that they're responding appropriately to the texter and you know to make sure that we're exploring all the issues particularly risk so making sure that you know we are fully exploring why someone's texted us and how they're feeling yeah I was just curious as well whether having such a large pool of volunteers kind of allows you to sort of vary how many volunteers are on shift and you could scale if there's more demand than you've got a bank of volunteers that can sort of come in and start responding to the conversations. Yes, so we are incredibly lucky. We have an extraordinary group of our volunteers who agreed to be on what we call spike teams. So if the platform gets very busy, they allow us to text them. And then they sort of jump on if it's very busy. And we're very lucky that we have that group of people who are willing to do that. But by and large, our volunteers are very responsive to what they know about our Texas needs. And of course, our ability to, through our data, to see very clearly, you know, when things are busy. So for example, Sunday nights, always our busiest night, the Sunday scares, as they're now called. And, you know, so we, we are able to say to volunteers, you know, if you are able to join us on a Sunday evening, that's fantastic. And we can demonstrate to our volunteers through our data when we need them most. But that highly sort of interactive relationship between the needs of of people texting and, and then your staff resource in terms of volunteers who can come in and sort of help out. 
And the clinicians, how, how many of those have you, have you managed to recruit? So we have over 30 clinicians now, both sort of full and part-time. And we also now have a team of seven in New Zealand. So they, they do our nights from New Zealand, which is great because, you know, one of the biggest stresses, I, I suppose, for our clinical team is, you know, having to do those very early mornings and sort of late nights and early mornings. And, and so we're delighted to have a team in New Zealand who, you know, who can do those kind of fresh as a daisy in their sort of lunch times rather than our middle of the night. You know, it's an amazing team of clinicians. We have people from, you know, kind of all different backgrounds, but they are amazing at supporting our volunteers and also making sure that our texters are safe and well. And are they largely from psychology backgrounds? By and large, yeah, yeah, from a, a clinical psychology background. You know, juggling multiple conversations often with quite high risk. So around 40% of our texters talk to us about suicidal thoughts and intentions. And so being able to support the texters and support the volunteers at the same time is, you know, a bit like the volunteering. It's not for everyone. But we have an extraordinary group of, of clinicians who are able to take volunteers and therefore texters through that process of de-escalation and managing their risk and thinking about, you know, where they could go for help and support that would keep them safe. I have to confess, over the course of my career, I've known some very able clinicians who are not really safe if put in front of a keyboard. So presumably (laughs) (laughs) they need to be technically able too. Yeah, I mean, the platform's very intuitive, so we're very lucky about that. What has been developed by Crisis Text Line is, is very intuitive, but it is a technical juggle. I mean, this has happened to me when I've, you know, been, I mean, I volunteer on the platform as well, and, you know, your internet will cut out and suddenly, you know, you're gone. So, you know, there's those sorts of challenges as well. But we are, yeah, we're very lucky to have a very intuitive platform. Well, that's great to hear. So you've got this highly accessible service that really lowers the sort of need for users to have much in the way of technology. What happens when you do provide that? What what, what do people tend to text about? And, And I guess particularly at the moment, as we're still in lockdown, still struggling with the pandemic. So our service has been particularly relevant, I suppose, or used by young people. So about 70% of our texters are under 25. And so the primary issues that we see alongside suicidal thoughts and ideations, we see anxiety, depression, loneliness, and relationships are the sort of big ones. So all kinds of relationships, but those are often a sort of driver for sadness, anxiety, loneliness, those sorts of things. And those are by far our sort of biggest issues. So those roughly around sort of 30% across all of those issues, about 30% of our conversations each. So that's the vast majority of our conversations are about those issues. In the recent times, since lockdown began, we have seen a significant increase in anxiety. That's increased by 13 14%. And lots and lots of conversations about lockdown. And it was interesting that when the coronavirus started to, to sort of appear, as it were, and kind of get closer to the UK, the numbers of people talking about COVID-19 on our service increased. And it increased almost in exact sort of proportion to the number of cases we were seeing here in the UK. So it became about 30% of our conversations. The instances of people talking about COVID are now decreasing, because I think initially there was anxiety about, about the virus itself, about catching it. That's reduced, but conversations about lockdown, uncertainty, anxiety, they have stayed quite high across all of our service. I mean, the other interesting thing that we found with our service is that people accessing our service 
or who access our service are very affected by the news. So we had our highest ever number of texts in a day around the time of the death of Caroline Flack. And that news really hit everybody, I think, very hard, hit a lot of people very hard. And we were extremely busy around that time. And similarly, around the night of the Prime Minister's announcement of the first lockdown. And we can see that volume sort of in real time, really. We can see those concerns and anxieties increasing in real time. So it's very news driven, which is interesting and interesting to think about in the longer term, what our data and data of services like ours might contribute in terms of how we talk about difficult topics and subjects in the news and understanding the impact and effect that those discussions have on people. Yes, I think that's right. Firstly, the pandemic is, I guess, the first time, well, it's the first time a pandemic has been amplified through the world of social media. I think your point about media reporting and announcements, given the risks and anxieties that people are are having to negotiate, has at times amplified their anxieties. In the world of suicide prevention, there's obviously a great deal of understanding about the impact of media reporting on, as you say, someone like Caroline Flack. So, yes, when we emerge from this, perhaps something a bit more thoughtful and responsible about the impact of media will be one of the things you can help us think through. I hope so. You know, we'd love to make sure that our data and the insights that we're getting from our data are as useful and helpful as possible. One of the last things I'd like to just ask about is that, as I understand it, Shout is available for all ages. Yes. Presumably, as soon as you can pick up a phone and use it, which probably now in the UK may be 18 months. (laughs) And young people themselves are obviously, you know, struggling enormously with the closure of schools, universities. Could you say a little bit about what it's like supporting younger people through the Shout service? So as far as we know, we've supported children as young as eight on our platform. And we often don't know, so we often don't know how old people are, although we do always ask, particularly if we are fairly sure that they're a child. So I think what we've found with our younger texters, particularly or with, with young people, is that they tend to be in need of help and support much more at night. And that's inevitably when lots of other things are closed. So I think, you know, our busiest times are after 8pm and through to about 2am. And I think it's true for all of us. You know, the middle of the night can be just a very dark time and where you feel your fears and anxieties are greater and your ability to manage or, or deal with those fears and anxieties is much reduced. And so actually the interesting thing for us is the combination between supporting someone in the moment and making sure that, you know, that they are OK, you know, that they, they understand that there's someone here for them and someone to talk to. And then thinking about what their plan is going to be for their longer term support. And so we tend to do a kind of combination of the two things, which is the de-escalation, the distraction, you know, how are you going to keep yourself okay tonight? And often that's about how you're going to get to sleep and, you know, what's going to help you to, to relax and feel calmer so that you can in the morning, you know, make that phone call or have that conversation with someone. Sometimes we'll very sort of practically help people think about, you know, how they would discuss a difficult topic with someone. And sometimes, you know, if they want to talk to a teacher or a GP or a family member, we'll work through with them on the text, you know, what is it that you would like that person to know? Or what would you like to say to them? And we kind of write it down together. And then, you know, we can always say, well, actually, if if you find it difficult to get the words out when you're having this conversation tomorrow, you can just show them this conversation, or you can show them that bit of the conversation. 
often, I guess a lot of it is sort of unmuddling of all the things that, you know, that are going around in your head and how can we present them in a way that they feel a bit more manageable, but also that you have a plan for how you're going forward. It's that sort of double aim, if you like. One is to make sure that someone is calm and safe and able to get to sleep or to be a bit more relaxed. And then the second is really, what are we going to do? You know, what can we talk about that would be a long-term help and support to you? Yeah, yeah. That sounds fantastically helpful. And I would think even having that record of the conversation that you yourself could access, you know, perhaps having privately typed, texted away in the night where no one else would know, you can actually go back and work through the thinking, the conversation, and then it might help you speak yourself or, as you say, you're so overwhelmed with anxiety, you could at least present that to a professional or a trusted other person, family member that could help you sort of take it forward so what a fantastic resource you leave with them yes and also the link so you know if we do so for example you know we might send someone a link to good thinking or to one of the resources that you have and then those resources and that that link kind of stays with them so it might be that in the moment it isn't what they need but actually the next day or a couple of days later they'll kind of think well actually someone sent me that link to something that I thought you know that app or that website or something which is really interesting and I feel ready to look at that now Again, it's allowing them to stay in control of when they take that next step. You know, when people worry and risks are prominent, it can become a bit too fast for the person who's struggling. So it sounds like a very thoughtful way of giving them what they need and enough to take a step if they wish to. Yes, exactly. Well, that's a fantastic overview of your service, Victoria. And I think many of us are going to be looking forward to hearing what further insights emerge. And I think it is worth adding at this point, you are part of the frontline service, so you're supporting healthcare workers at this point? We are. And again, as many people as would like to text us, please do. So that's uh, text frontline to 85258. 85258. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want to get my phone out now. It's, it's just tempting. But I won't persecute your volunteers. <laughs> or I shouldn't ask whether you get psychiatrists texting. It's probably a breach of, of confidence, isn't it? But I'm sure you do get some professionals in this space. We do. We get it's amazing. You know, it's interesting. We've had so many people texting us from all different walks of life, and we provide shout as a shout, obviously. But we also provide our service under a sort of white label or own brand for other organisations. So we are the crisis messenger for a whole number of organisations, including. Frontline, as I just said, we have a text blue light for anyone in emergency services. And we also support organizations like The Mix and Young Minds, but also Baby Buddy and others who don't have a 24-7 service. We sort of effectively provide that for them. So we get lots of different groups of people contacting us through lots of different other organizations. So we, we support Young Minds Parent Helpline when their phone lines are not open. Yes, have you been tempted yet to spray paint 85258 somewhere along Downing Street? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of comms I hadn't thought of, but it's, you know, interesting thought. I, I'll leave you with that thought. <laughs> I think there are many people in need and not always in what appear to be privileged places. Well, uh, as I said, again, it's just fantastic to, to hear of the sheer diversity of the groups and audiences you're, you're able to reach using this fantastic technology and sort of low barriers to access services. We normally at this point in the podcast try to give you an opportunity to let us get to know you a bit better by sort of asking you some questions about lockdown, but in a way that you might not have thought of before. 
obviously there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of health anxiety, a lot of frustration and tolerating uncertainty. So our gift to you at this point is to <laughs> offer you the possibility of rolling back the clock to say the beginning of February, when we're just starting to anticipate going into isolation or lockdown. And we're going to allow you to take into lockdown with you three famous or prominent individuals. Who would you choose, Victoria? So I suppose just for sort of interest's sake and in terms of their sort of varied lives. So I am a big admirer of Tom Hanks. You know, he's been in so many amazing movies. You could just kind of, rather than watching them, you could just hear about them and go through them all. And whenever I've seen him do any kind of talk show type things, he's always seems very funny and very nice. So I think he would be my sort of movie star choice. I think I'd have to spend some of lockdown with Barack Obama. He's a frequent choice. <laughs> Is he? Yeah, yeah. We haven't told him yet, but hopefully he can schedule it. Yeah, then just, I guess, for sort of life stories and, you know, a, a kind of interesting life and an interesting perspective, I would want to take somebody from a kind of, you know, completely different walk of life to mine and a different sort of experience to mine. And also someone who could be entertaining. I'm not a musician myself and don't have any of those kinds of skills. So I think somebody who can sing or, you know, play an instrument, that sort of thing. So I think it might be Adele. She's got a big voice. <laughs> she has. Yes. Well, let's hope you are locked down in an auditorium or something where she can let rip and your eardrums can remain intact. <laughs> I guess all of those people are people who have also lived through all sorts of experiences as well. And Nadella has certainly made us all aware of those. I think of Tom Hanks, of course, he was one of the first people who very publicly talked of being infected with coronavirus and what sort of insights he might be able to bring to that situation. So, yeah, lots of wisdom and experience and a significant set of tonsils. <laughs> Speaking of music, though, you are allowed also to take, and perhaps you know, something you could have on your phone, some media, some content. It could be a book, film, music, even a recording of an event, like a sporting event or theatre production. Do you have a sense of what else would help you in that time of lockdown? So books, definitely. If I could take any author, if I had to choose an author, I think for me it would be Anne Tyler, not least because she's brilliant, but also has written so much. So I think it would be the complete works of Anne Tyler. Right. And any favourites amongst that that you'd reach for first? Oh, I love The Accidental Tourist. Not the film. You'd stick with the book. Yeah, I'd stick with the book. By and large, I mean, it's not true for everything, of course, but by and large, I always feel that film adaptations of books, I miss so much of the, you know, I think it's fine if you haven't read the book. And it was, and it was a great film, but yeah, I'd always prefer the books, I think. It's usually what comes first, isn't it? I, I think I started the other way around, so I probably would take the film, which is actually a really good choice considering what we're living through. Mm. And a luxury. You can take something to sweeten the pill of lockdown. Crisps. Crisps. <laughs> Any particular? Yeah, it's my weakness. But crisps, I think, for me, always make things a little bit more bearable. In fact, one of our favourite family games is Desert Island Crisps. So presumably in that game, you choose a flavour. You can choose eight, but then obviously you, can, you have to choose your favourite. And for Victoria Hornby, the favourite crisp would be? Salt and vinegar, I think. Yeah, yeah, classic. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'd like to allow you to take some liquid refreshment to go with the crisps. If it's daytime, it's definitely Diet Coke. I've got a Diet Coke issue. 
so I'd find it difficult. And then if it was for the evening, it would definitely be a nice cold glass of white wine. I feel, given your work for all those that are struggling at the moment, we'll let you take some nice white wine in too. Thank you. But Public Health England must never hear of these two choices. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're not very healthy. But one of the nice things about our platform is that there's a sort of chat bit down the side so you can all chat. And we quite often will have chats, you know, in the, in the kind of margins of our conversations with texters about what's your favourite shift food or pre-shift food. And there's always that separation between the savoury and the sweet. So some people's sweet teeth and savoury. I'm definitely a savoury. Me too. Me too. Well, that sounds like a lovely note to end on. But more than anything, thank you so much for giving us your time today, given that your service seems to be in the right place at the right time and helping people who may otherwise struggle to access support reach out and find someone who's there and listening and helping them take next steps. So thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Our music is kindly provided by Key Changes, a charity offering award-winning music engagement and recovery services for people experiencing mental health issues. Thank you to all at Key Changes. Key Changes.